HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guests today are Brandon Dawn and Brian Pollan, co-owners of Brooklyn Kura, the very first Japanese uh, sake brewery in New York, which opened this fall. 
Uh, now that uh, sushi and ramen are part of American diet, people are becoming even more familiar with Japanese sake. And I started to hear that passionate American lovers started to open, uh, sake lovers started to open premium artisanal sake breweries throughout the country, including Brandon and Brian. So today we'll discuss why Brandon and Brian decided to open a sake brewery in New York, what types, types of sake they make, and challenges opening a sake brewery in New York, and much, much more. But before we start, Japanese is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes and Stitcher as a podcast. Please go to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe to Japanese and write a review. We'd appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please, please let us know. And you can email us at japaneats at heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatayama.com. Now let's start a conversation with uh, Brandon Dawn and Brian Pollan. Hello, Brian. Hello, Brandon. Welcome to Japan Eats. Hello. Thanks for having <laughs> us. Thanks. Okay, so uh, so this is exciting. The first sake brewery in New York <laughs> City. So uh, before everything else, um, where are you from and uh, what's your background? I'm from Southern California. Um, this is Brian, by the way. <laughs> this is Brian, yeah. um, Went to school in Southern California, Michigan, and um, my last job or life was as a product and technology leader at American Express. Mm, very different. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Um, I moved here a year and a half ago from Portland, Oregon. Um, I did my part to stem the tide of Brooklynites moving to Portland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I come out of research science. I'm a biochemist. And so I help develop drugs for cancer and heart disease. Mm, super different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, so how did you guys meet and came up with uh, the idea of opening a sake brewery? So we met um, at a mutual friend's wedding in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, spent about two weeks traveling um, Japan in Kyoto, Takeyama, Shirakawago, mm-hmm. um, and in Tokyo, of course. Um, and experienced sake for what it is in Japan for the first time and started talking about it as a as a product and as something we, we wanted to learn more about um, mm. and something that uh, we wanted to see if we could do in the U.S. Mm. Well, that's great that, you know, if you stay in Tokyo, you can still have diverse tasting sake, mm-hmm. but if you travel, you find this is only available in the local region. I went to Shirakawa and Takaima too. I was like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but you know, like I'm sure the lot of listeners have been to Japan, and then oh, that's great, amazing, and they go back. Let's buy more sake. Yeah. But to you guys, it's next level. So, <laughs> so it was a, it was a long process for us. We we were it was 2013, um, and we came home and we continued the conversation about it. We started to make sake in our homes, um, Brandon in Portland, me in Brooklyn. Um, and then just thought more and more seriously until we were able to mm-hmm. kind of brand it to come out here from Portland and leave our jobs and start Brooklyn Cora. Wow. I mean, it's like a long-distance relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Sake development is amazing how yeah. much. So, uh, but I'm curious, though, that, you know, you brand new in Oregon, and that's the land of craft beer and wine, mm-hmm. right? But you didn't have that idea of making alcohol beverage, your well, I, I'd actually been a home beer brewer since before I was 21, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've always been fascinated with fermentation. I've I've made wine and and even soy sauce at home. Wow. And then when we got introduced to sake in Japan, um, it's it's perhaps the most unusual fermentation there is in the world. 
Mm-hmm. So, I, um, I mean, I like to science things out, so I, I got really curious about it. Um, so it, it, it made sense for me to go, <laughs> go to sake. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so there, what's the goal? I, you know, there are sake breweries in this country, like a big factory base, autism, like yeah. I mentioned earlier. So what's the goal of opening your own sake brewery? I, th- I think our goal is very simple. We want to make the best sake we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also want to introduce people, like broaden the set of consumers of sake, both ours and sake from Japan and other craft brewers across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because the sake market has been growing, but it's more kind of um, scattered around. Yeah. The meat porters and American-based and Disney communities. Yeah. So it sounds like... You're creating a sake community? Yeah. Right, that's great. Okay. Um, so uh, why did you decide to open a sake brewery in New York, not in Oregon <laughs> or not somewhere else, Southern California? I mean, we, we discussed that. Um, I mean, we think of New York City and Brooklyn in particular as having a very diverse set of potential consumers that are wine lovers, that are craft beer lovers. And that whole eat local, drink local culture we felt was a great place for us to do something that's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was easy for us after making that decision. Right. Okay. Well, not easy for you, Brandon. We had to move across <laughs> the country. But well, I'm, I love Brooklyn so far, so it was a good move. Right. Yeah. Well, the Oregon is, uh, the Portland is the parent of Brooklyn, people say. So you guys are located at the Industry City in Brooklyn. And what is Industry City and why did you decide to pick that location? Yeah, so Industry City has been fantastic to us. Um, there are a diverse set of maker retailers and new additions on a daily basis. Um, it's a, a place that um, is being invested heavily in, um, and there's a whole network that we can leverage, whether it be Brooklyn Brine or it be um, other kind of members of that community. Mm-hmm. So when we were able to be introduced to the people at Industry City, find a space that works, for us and our, our, our brewery, um, it was a very easy decision. There mm-hmm. are activities at Industry City on a daily basis um, that draw people um, from across New York City and more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, and we're excited to see, so Japan Village is coming to Industry City, so mm-hmm. uh, an Italy-like Japan, right. Japanese uh, marketplace, mm-hmm. the hometown barbecue will be there soon. So it's a place that's exciting, being invested in, and it was a perfect fit for us. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, the newly developed uh, business complex slash uh, food business entertainment yeah. space. And each time I visit... Your place, there's a new place open. Exactly. Like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a, we've met a lot of people who have been very helpful for, for you know, we're, we're a new company when we need to source things. Mm. Um, when I have questions about how to set something up, there's uh, tons of friends that we have now. We can go ask questions and, and get help. Yeah. Right. And also, I'm, I'm sure you you help other people as of well course. as the community. Great. Okay. And uh, so, uh, it's a question to Brandon. So, how did you learn to make sake on top of brewing beer and another thing? Yeah. So, there's there's some crossover with with beer and wine. Um, so, and I've got a lot of experience in in just tending a fermentation. Um, but I have spent a little time in Japan and and studied at some breweries there uh, and in Japan and in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, did you ask? Uh, sake brewers in Japan, like, please. Yeah, yeah. Let me yeah. Can I come get up at five in the morning and and, and do a lot of sweeping for you? Wow. Yeah. Well, how actually did you make a contact with each? Um, a little different. Like we've just, I mean, 
we've had so many people reach out to us when they've heard about us and a lot of excitement uh, mm. um, that we've made a lot of friends. And, and so people have helped give us introductions. And, oh, and nice. So, yeah, so I spent a little time there, um, you know, learning from, you know, lifelong sake brewers. Um, and then a lot of just self-teaching. Uh, whenever I can find a textbook or something, I, like, <laughs> I put a lot of things into Google Translate. Um, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. It's just, you know, we're, we're... The first thing I learned about brewing sake is that I'll be learning about it for the rest of my life. So, so we still have a lot to learn. Mm. And, and every day we, we learn something new. Mm, that's the Toji spirit. <laughs> yeah. right. So, okay. And you uh, worked at... Uh, that's Sake One in Oregon? Yeah, I spent a little time at Sake One, um, which is just right outside of Portland. It's a, it's a rather large uh, mm. craft sake brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's owned by uh, Momokawa Shuzo in I Japan? think that's right. Or not. I, I, it's not anymore? I, from, uh, I think it's owned by Hakatsuru. Okay. Uh, which is a Japanese. Right. Okay, um, so that's taken over maybe by yeah. all those things happening. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Mm. <laughs> Okay. Well, it's good that the Hakusuda is a major company. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, on the other hand, it's this craft beer, and uh, no, craft sake making is happening, yeah. like you guys do. So that's yeah. very encouraging. It is. Right. Okay. And uh, so the top page of your website says, American craft sake uh, inspired by tradition brewed in Brooklyn. So what's the sake making philosophy of Brooklyn craft? So... I mean, in in simple terms, we believe sake is underrepresented across tables and restaurants and markets in the U.S. And so um, we we feel strongly that as people are introduced to sake, um, that they can discover like we did and make it a more regular part of their consumption. Um, And so in addition to wanting to make the best sake that we possibly can, um, we want to continue to use our space and our sake and then other sakes that are produced across the country and in Japan mm. um, to broaden the set of consumers of sake. Right. Well, that's the availability and approachability. It's very important because I think in Japan, people go to a convenience store in Japan. Yeah. Wow, yeah. wow. This thing costs $30 here and then it's $10. Can you believe it? Well, those are customs and things. So sake is still is a little more. Uh, luxurious item but because you don't have to go through the custom part you can probably produce like a more reasonable price and 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 we will produce a range of uh costs and and products i think ultimately because we're local and we have the facility that we do Mm -hmm. um at least for the new york city consumers Mm -hmm. we can invite them to our new home show them how sake is produced and and introduce them to a broader range than they would otherwise otherwise have exposure to Mm -hmm. Um, and that's all in like the the philosophy of making the best sake and exposing as many people to mm. it that we can right well the and when i visit your tasting room which is not totally open yet no. to the public but you have nice kind of tap like a craft beer taps yeah and uh when you pass by you don't realize this is a serious sake brewery which i think is a good point because now you can you feel like trying without yeah. going to japanese restaurants yeah. exactly right. okay and uh so what kind of challenges have you faced or are you facing right now in your opening and running a second brewery? So it's, uh, I mean, challenges abound, right? So whether it be 
the regulatory environment at the federal and local and uh, federal, state, and local levels, or B, site selection, choosing mm -hmm. a place where we can quickly and easily build. And right. Let me ask you that regulation issues. Yeah. What, what kind of problems? So it's, it's just a lengthy process. So the federal government treats sake differently than New York State. Mm -hmm. um, and so as a result, I mean, we are... I believe the, f well, we are the first sake brewery in New York State. Mm -hmm. And so just their treatment of us um, and what kind of paperwork is necessary, what type of amendments were necessary, mm -hmm. pose some challenges. Right. So the new, by, according to New York State, sake brewery is a winery? So we are a commercial winery in New York State. And from a federal perspective, we're a, a beer brewery <laughs> with some supplementals. And then, of course, sake, when it's distributed, is distributed with labels that are kind of approved by the federal government as wine labels. Mm. So, <laughs> and then there's locally navigating the difference between agriculture and markets and Department of Health um, and the FDA. So, so from a regulatory perspective, mm. plenty of plenty of challenges. Right. Um, finding a space in New York City that's zoned appropriately to build and operate a brewery and a tap room also has posed challenges. Mm. Um, finding the right people, actually. Um, so hiring has posed some challenges for us. And then, um, I mean, Brandon, speak about, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and from an equipment standpoint, um, Japanese brewers don't often want to sell anything. Uh. Uh, um, and when they do, when you can, when you hear of uh, uh, like a sake press or something that you really want, mm -hmm. it's it's usually too expensive and too expensive to ship over. So we've sort of had to invent some things. We've had to source <laughs> things from, I mean, I we own more Italian winemaking equipment than Japanese sake equipment. Mm. Like, that's just a thing that we could get that will, you know, work. So we've had to, that's been a challenge to, you know, get everything to come together and, and uh, like, work together. Mm. Our press arrived today. Yeah, our press showed up today on a big truck. Wow, so the press is from... Press is from Cincinnati. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> made, in, made in the US. Mm, so that's amazing, right? Yeah. And and because you understand how sake is made, mm. you can customize it. But yeah, you just kind of if you understand <laughs> the concept of how the sake is pressed, you know we you know we know what what sort of physical factors needed to happen. <laughs> so we we talked to a manufacturer and mm. and we need a steamer to steam the rice. So I found our steamer is the one big uh, piece of machinery that was made in Brooklyn. So I found a steel <laughs> manufacturer and sat with, with them, with their team, and drew pictures and talked about it at length. And they produced a beautiful steamer for us. Mm. Vin Vinegar Hill. Vinegar right. Hill, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's very impressive. Actually, that really, um, that's craftsmanship already, yeah. right, for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then our, our general contractors did an amazing job, uh, like, just putting it together. Like, none of them have ever heard of a Koji room. Or there was the fact that you know it needs to be hot, and and I say it has, to, it has to be like Southeast Asian. There it has mm. to be hot and humid, and so they did a great job building it to, mm. to how we needed it. So we, we lucked out with them. Right. Well, maybe a lot of people come up to you and just, just tell me, "I'm going to open the second brewery." <laughs> so you could be the founder of those the new equipment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, so um, the main ingredients of sake are water, rice, kobo. I mean koji. Those things. So, where do you get them? So, um, we're using American ingredients. Um, we get rice right now from both California and Arkansas. Um, there's a there's a couple uh, kinds of sake mai or rice that's specific for sake grown in Arkansas. Um, 
so right now we're sourcing it from there in California, and then we're just constantly looking for anybody else that you know we'll take rice. If it makes great sake, we'll we'll get it from anywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, we get so we make our own koji in our koji room, and so to do that, um, we need koji tane or koji kin. Mm-hmm. So let me ask for so listeners who's not familiar with koji, what is koji? So koji is um, a certain portion of the steam rice goes into the koji room, and um, we grow a fungus on it called Aspergillus oryzae. Um, and the reason for doing that, and like what I was saying earlier about how bizarre um, sake brewing process is, is there's yeast, but the yeast needs sugar to produce uh, CO2 and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, since the rice is milled away, um, there's no way to malt it like you would with beer. Um, so the, the koji grows on the rice and produces the enzymes, amylase specifically, needed to, to sort of leak out of the koji and dissolve the rice and provide, slowly provide the sugar uh, for the yeast over the mm. month-long fermentation. Right. So, in other words, koji converts uh, starch to sugar, exactly. and the sugar is converted yeah. by the yeast yeah. to Yeah, it's called alcohol. multiple parallel fermentation. Mm. So, yeah. this, the, it's, uh, the beer is like one yeah, you, at a time. Yeah, so, so you know, in wine, the, all the sugar that the yeast is going to eat is already in the grape. Mm. Um, in beer, the first process of making beer is you mash the grains, because there's enzymes already in there, and then you heat it up in the mash tun, and that... Uh, turns the starches in like an hour or so into sugar. Mm. So so the then then the beer is another step that step to convert yeah. sugar to alcohol. Yeah. But it's everything happens in the same time. Yeah. At the same time in the same place. That's why the sake brewing is so complex and Yeah. And the, and the the idea that they figured this out like over a thousand years ago was pretty mind blowing too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, and again, you know the the sake is so regional that you said, you know, the rice comes from Arkansas mm-hmm, and California, mm-hmm. but I think the idea of using sake rice, it depends on which region you go. So it makes sense that you have Arkansas rice and mm-hmm. California mm-hmm. rice, yeah. right? So, and I heard you use uh, Yamada Nishiki, which is a super premium sake mine, mm-hmm. to grow koji. Yeah, there's a, we have a, a relationship with a farmer in Arkansas who grows that, and um and hopefully, the next couple of years, he's gonna he's gonna add to his list of different sake mines. Mm, wow! Yeah, there's no reason, right? It's a good uh, climate. It, they should be able to grow good yeah. sake rice. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, so, do you say do you see the quality as par, as good as? Uh, yeah, Japanese? I mean, I think another thing I didn't mention is we use Brooklyn water. So I moved mm. here from Portland, Oregon, which has pristine water, and I, you know, I've never lived on the East Coast. <laughs> so I thought I, I we're moving. I'm moving to the biggest city in the East Coast in the United States, um, and I just assumed the water would be need to be treated heavily. Um, mm. But I came to learn that Brooklyn has famous water. You know, it's famous for bagels, for pizza, and we hope for sake too. <laughs> mm. um, it's a little on the soft side. Uh, the yeast really seems to love it. Uh, when it comes into our brewery, just because of the old pipe infrastructure, um, I have one filter to move a little bit of iron. Mm. And then I remove the chlorine that the city puts into it. But other than that, we keep Brooklyn water the same. Mm. I think uh, New York City water is boarded for number one in the whole uh, country. Yeah. So that makes sense. Right. Okay. And I, I think uh, Oregon water tends to be slightly salty. Is that what it is? It varies. Um, um, like right in Portland, it's actually very, very soft. Mm. It's almost distilled water. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So we have to maneuver all mm. those different things. Okay. And uh, so in terms of Kobo, which is east, mm. um, I heard uh, you know the 
you know, the birth of sake, the film, the Tedoriga Brewery. Now, Yoshida san gave you some kobo. Yeah, well? um, he, he visited us, the Toji from Tedorigawa visited, um, and we knew ahead of time um, that he was coming, so we arranged to um, get the strain of yeast that he uses. And so we brewed with his yeast with American ingredients and, and, uh, and served it to him when he showed up. Mm, so that's very fascinating. How, how, how do you think, I mean, is, is it really different from what you expect with American ingredients and you never know yeah. what happens? I mean, um, I mean we, it, we, responses have varied. We've had um, like sort of master Japanese sake tasters come. And and not believe that uh, like like this was American rice, you know they they had trouble believing that, um, and and I think I think uh, the American palate is different too. So mm-hmm. some of the some of the rices we use can can give a heavier taste, mm-hmm. which might not be as popular in Japan for a sake. But uh, um, you know uh, people like different things, and so we're we're trying to mm-hmm. uh, produce a range with the ingredients that we have. Right. Well, th- th- that's the point of having a terroir. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. So, wow, I can't wait. You're going to develop all those different types <laughs> of rice. And by the way, you use uh, Kalos rice. Yeah, Kalos. Which is not for Sakamai. It's not for it's, I think it's actually descendant. So we, we've heard that it is descendant. I mean, I think one thing that I'd say is there's a large amount of infrastructure supporting sake production in California because the four large brewers, breweries like the Takara, Gaikakan, mm. um, Yagaki are, are there. And so for us as a, as a fledgling business, um, the fact that there's rice that they've tested and kind of gone through the process of making sake for the last 25 years mm. with and kind of worked with farmers to refine to make it more comparable or are substitutable for sakamai um, has made our life easier mm. um, and so we we've made delicious sakes with calrose um, and we made the decision or we made the decision to to augment the calrose with uh, Yamada Nishiki because we think it makes the final product even better mm, right I actually went to uh kick on America's page and mm. they use they really try to adjust themselves to use Carlos rice mm-hmm. and it a, like you said it's a good history mm-hmm. so I think it's a very interesting you know American sake history yep. yeah so okay and so what types of sake do you make so we are going to launch with Junmai sake essentially um, four ingredients water koji rice and yeast um and our first um styles will be ginjo grade so the rice will be milled to more than 60 percent both mm-hmm. our california rice and our rice from arkansas um and we will launch what one of our things that we think is a unique offering to the new york city community and something we're excited about an unpasteurized sake a nama sake mm-hmm. um we will also launch a pasteurized sake um that's pasteurized once in bottle and we'll be able to have shelf life outside of the refrigerator. Mm. But um, it's uh, instead of twice, it's only once. It's exactly. called the machozo. Exactly. Right. And also, you said a junmai. That means uh, no added alcohol. Exactly. So it sounds like your style is more kind of freshness, emphasize-oriented. Exactly. Style of sake. Exactly. Mm. Um, and then we hope to, we've gotten a lot of requests already, um, and we, we've made uh, a few in the past, but for a nogori sake, mm. um, uh, to... 
to add to that. And then, and then we have the tap room. So the tap room essentially is a place for us to experiment, to get customer feedback real time, um, and kind of evolve our recipes and offerings, mm-hmm. um, in, in, uh, uh, over the course of the coming years. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Cause also nigori is, um, filtered that yeah. means more of the original taste <laughs> so nama and nigori exactly. so it's really uh, new york terroir mm. that's great but when are you launching so we are brewing today i mean essentially so uh, we are expecting to open the tap room for very limited hours to the public in early january mm. um we are starting to put some plans together around events to invite the new york city community um out to the space um mm. But we are being very measured. Uh, it's it's important that in our first scaled production um, and packaging that we take whatever time we need to do it right. Mm. Um, so we've, I, I mean, I should say we've had such tremendous support, and there's a lot of enthusiasm in the com- sake community for us to open. We had an event on November 21st, uh, um, our first event um, with Nambu Bijin. Mm. Um, and it kind of is a so we're trying to achieve in that space uh, a, a, a center point for the New York City sake community. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about our sake, it's about celebrating uh, Nihonshu and the sake that's brought here and then other local craft brewers. And Fantastic. so we did that. It was, it was great. Right. And the Number Vision is one of the biggest um, labels including here in New York City and yes. they win all those prizes and the Kujisan uh, he's an amazing president yep. and he had American uh, apprentice yep. Dembel yep, yep. exactly right? so I'm hoping to have him sometime soon in the near yeah. future oh, amazing. but yeah so it's great and like you know this global movement and Number Vision initiating on the Japanese side and you guys are doing so yeah. you can wait to see so maybe in three years five years something new is going to be happening oh, here I think so right. yeah okay so uh, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about um, how traditional sake brewers reacted to Brooklyn crowd sake. So please stay with us. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill, and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katema, and my guests today, uh, guest today are Brandon Don and Brian Pollan, co-owners of Brooklyn Kura, the very first sake brewery in New York, which opened uh, this fall. So, uh, so what is your production capacity? So uh, we're discovering that on a daily basis. I mean, we have a plan, a capacity, and it's north of 300 koku. So let's say north of 80,000 bottles mm. um, a year. Um, but it's something we're discovering as we test our new equipment and as we kind of produce our first scale batches, we'll mm. have a better sense. That's great because I, I, you know, you're saying you wanted to explore many different kinds 
right? So rather than three types that you're launching at the beginning. Yeah. So if you have capacity and you have a nice space too, so you can do a lot of different new exploration of flavors. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, so um, where are you planning to distribute your sake? So we are... I mean, our, one of our primary focus is introducing people to the sake in our tap room, but we are interested in on and off premise uh, with a focus on New York City to begin with. So, mm. so there'll be restaurants, liquor stores, wine shops that we'll be connecting with, and I've already established some relationships with mm. um, to to get our sake out. Right, that'd be awesome. I, I mean, you, you're going to be um, targeting Japanese restaurants, or could be anything. So, so I think our our goal is to broaden the set of places that carry sake. So, um, we will, of course, be working with Japanese restaurants. They've been incredibly supportive in this whole effort, mm-hmm. as both um, kind of educated tasters, providing us feedback, and kind of guiding us through the network here in New York City. Um, but, but I don't think it would be success for us if we're not putting. Our sake in non-Japanese restaurants. Mm. Um, again, our ultimate goal is to expand the footprint of sake in the U.S. and starting in New York, and, mm. and it will be that's an essential thing. Okay, right. So I I personally keep hearing, do you know the Brooklyn Crowd? It's just a new place, and do you know when it's opening? So there are many people waiting for you guys to dis- start distributing. Oh, exciting! Yeah, and uh, I heard that the over ten Japanese sake breweries visited you. So, um, what are the reactions to your business and sake? Uh, <clears throat> the reaction we've gotten from Japan has just been overwhelmingly positive. Um, they're very excited. I think that um, you know, some some uh, aspects of some markets of sake have been on the decline in Japan. Mm. Um, so they really, and also I think it's considered uh, uh, like your grandfather's drink. Mm. In Japan, and the young people are drinking craft beer and craft whiskey. So I think they are, are really want to show that, like, hey, this is a, this is a craft scene in the United States. Like, I think they want to show some of the Brooklyn cool back in Japan, mm-hmm. and and so they're they've been very encouraging. Um, right. and, and they came out and tasted um, some of our first sort of practice sakes, and they had good things to say about it. They had constructive criticism. Um, we've met a bunch of people where I can, you know, email or call up and discuss some of the technical mm. details of brewing, and, and they're all just very generous with information. It's been fantastic. Mm, that's great. Yeah, rather than just try to compete and they expand that the bigger pie. Yeah. That's exactly it. I mean, and I think the Nambu Bijin event is a, is an indication. I mean, it, we want to do launches for any new kind of sake coming onto the scene in our space and I mean the whole uh, community needs to kind of work together in order to grow the pie mm, great so keep me posted yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah we want to you know like we want to support you guys and I think it's uh, you know um, we the reason I keep hearing about broken sake from all Japanese people they really expect you to do something fun and high quality thing so, and speaking of, um, so I heard that, um, I think before the show, that you have a mixed feeling about making Japanese sake as an American. So maybe could you tell us about it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say mixed feelings. I just, we're trying to um, sort of walk a fine line of, I mean, sake is Japan's national drink. Um, you know, we want to learn as much as we can about it and be respectful of it. But we're not Japanese. Um, I haven't studied for 10 years under a toji. I don't, I don't <laughs> refer to myself as a toji. I'm a brewer. Um, so we're not um, 
um, claiming to be making traditional Japanese sake in the United States. We we want to learn as much as we can, and we want to do it here uh, mm -hmm. in the United States. I think sometimes America can take things from other cultures and really mess them up. Um, but occasionally, you know, like we took beer from largely Germany, and now you can find a, a really great American IPA anywhere in the world. Mm. Uh, wine, you know, um, was ignored for years until people took it seriously in, from, from France and California. And now, you know, there's fantastic right. uh, American wines. So, and some of the best whiskey in the world now is, is Japanese. So, you know, with that in mind, uh, we, you know, we, we want to take what we can learn and, and just see what happens in the United States. Mm. I think uh, globally, uh, in the culinary world, everything's becoming more local sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I think this, the, this whole Japanese sake in Brooklyn really fits in that picture as well yeah. so i think it's really great thing that you guys are doing it and i otherwise you know the tradition gets stuck mm. you know just uh and not to mention the sake consumption is declining in japan and then they die because yeah. there's nobody succeeding yeah i mean what what people have, from japan have told me is that um the tradition is so strong that for someone to make a change um that it typically that needs to happen over many years if you mm. want to change the direction of it. I think if you know, for for better or worse, in the United States, we you know somebody can just change something the next day mm. and take something in a, in a in a totally different direction. So so um, we don't want to get too wild, but <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and also I think realistically, like you know, say sushi or kaiseki chefs, mm. they didn't have resources. And we have internet. Like, click away, you can get any kind of scientific analysis. Why mm -hmm. you have to do this that way? What's the reason not not to use them? So yeah. it all makes sense. Yep. And I think uh, Japanese traditional industry understands that too. Mm -hmm. So, okay. And uh, by the way, by yourself, how do you describe your sake? The flavor and the taste. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, the way I describe it, um, and in simple terms, is. Um, we see our sake as perfectly substitutable for a fine wine that you would pair with dinner. It's light, it's floral, it's crisp, it's drinkable. Um, the our, our alcohol by volume range is around 14 to 16 percent, uh, but they're very subtle, complex flavors that we've been able to get out of both American rice, Brooklyn water, um, and the koji that we've been making. Um, and so uh, we've had sakes that we've produced that have ranged from having like a really strong um, ripe banana and mesquite quality to them to mm. a much more kind of traditional where you, you can smell and taste the apple and strawberry um, uh, qualities that some of the yeast yield. So mm. we've been very lucky. Um, again, it's all subtle, light, crisp, and um, to be enjoyed with anything you want to eat with it. Right, yeah. And I got lucky last time I visited you. <laughs> I had uh, the trial version. And uh, so at the beginning, I like the minority. It's so soft, but it's still there. Mm. So you have some accent. And then in, in, at the beginning, the floral sweetness, and it disappears with a dry finish. Mm. It's a very ephemeral. Oh, some, uh, yeah, it just, I don't think you should call it a substitute. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah or anything else. That's very yeah. unique. And oh. it's good for us to hear uh, from other from other people <laughs> because, like, I mean, Brian and I have worked together every day for a year and a half, mm. and we've been with our sake. <laughs> so it's it's easy for us to get in a bubble, and that's you know, <laughs> so we're so we're we're really looking forward to the tap room being fully open. So 
we can get that kind of feedback. Exactly. Right. Mm. Like, okay. So, um, so we have a very beautiful tap room, as you mentioned. It's spacious too. So how are you going to use um, such an attractive space? So, so it is meant for the New York City sake community, for the Japanese sake community, as a place for us to introduce our products and receive feedback, like we just discussed, um, from the range of different people who want to consume sake. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it's essentially that. It's a, a, we are going to be able to be more experimental there. Um, with smaller batches, which we're super excited about. Mm. Um, and it's a place to kind of bring people to the diverse network of kind of maker, like retailers in Industry City, mm. um, so they can kind of get a sense of all the things exciting that are going on there, um, in addition to what we're doing. I'd mm. uh, also heard you were planning to have host events by Japanese sake breweries. Exactly. So right. the Nambu Bijin event is an example of mm. that. Um, we hope to kind of be a home in New York right. for for Japanese sake yeah, I think it's really hard for, for Japanese traditional sake breweries come to New York and then they can go to trade shows like Javits Center mm. but uh, where else they have to go to Japanese restaurants <laughs> and it's it's a big deal they have to order food and so I think uh, your space is really ideal yeah. for them and we also hope to um, you know if there's people who want to teach classes on sake mm. or um, you know train sommeliers uh, we have a. They can actually come and see exactly the process of it happening instead of just uh, re- uh, reading or listening about it. Mm, right. Okay. So uh, I heard that uh, this is a slight diversion from uh, what we've been talking about. I heard that there are about fifteen artisanal sake breweries in the U.S. by American people. So what do you think about their sake? Uh, so yeah, it's 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 it has the feeling that it's becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's, yeah, maybe 15, 16, 17, uh, like typically one, two, three person, uh, operations. Um, and like, I, you know, there's a, there's a saying in, uh, in Japanese that there's 10,000 ways to make sake. I think mm. that's totally true uh, in, in the United States as well. That mm-hmm. it's, it's a range of people who have lived in mm. Japan for a long time, who speak and read Japanese fluently. Um, uh, and are using like very traditional methods, and mm. then there's there's some people that are uh, doing some pretty wild stuff um, with sake. <laughs> uh, I How think, wild is uh, it? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, I'm making I'm making an effort to taste everybody's, mm. go around and taste everybody's sake. Um, but you know, I think that we'll we're sort of middle of the road of of everybody that's out there as far mm. as an approach. So what wild means, um, you know, different type, types of uh, yeast. Yeah, in different in different processes, um, you know, there's there's people who've who've been brewing beer, and so they bring um, sort of a, a beer making techniques to sake. Huh, interesting. So it, it's going to be interesting to see over the next few years, like how all of this kind of gets going, and and, mm. and like if if a sort of like a style of American sake rises up out of all of this. Mm, maybe you can host a sake conference yeah. for sake producers. <laughs> it, be, it's been yeah. a delicious exercise, so like, <laughs> we get to try right. all these things. But you, you mentioned like, you know, it could be one to three people running a sake just You can't sleep. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> wow, I really admire those people. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's, I mean, I went from a life of like, writing in a laboratory notebook to straight up physical labor. <laughs> um, you know, I, like I knew, I've always heard that, you know, it's, it's like you, if you watch and you like documentaries on t- traditional Japanese sake, they're up at five in the morning um, and it's like backbreaking work. Um, 
and it's it's like physically challenging. Mm. Um, it's seventy five percent of sake ma- making is cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's really important because you know the the yeast and yeah. the molds that you're dealing with yeah. they can't it's, have extra. It's a very delicate beverage. Like you, you know, in beer you add hops, which is antimicrobial, um, and you boil it. So you've killed all the bugs. Right. Um, you know, rice is steamed, but then it goes into a cold vat of water and, and, and like, sit and there's open fermentation. Mm. So it's not in a closed, sealed vessel. So you have to take care to, like, change your shoes right. when you go into the tank room and, and things like that. Mm. Wow. Well, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> um, so, well, I hope you really hope you can sleep well. Right. Um so the do you communicate with all those other American sake breweries? Yeah, we like we pretty much know each all all of each know each other now, and um, it's it's a fantastic supportive community. Um, it's interesting to see how people are kind of like when they can't get equipment, w- what they're doing to to get the process done that they need to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all very supportive of each other. There's some people like I started talking to two three years ago that started giving me advice that um, gave me contacts for, for different manufacturers of equipment. Mm. Um, and on the, on the other side, we're trying to pay that forward. We've had people who've heard about us, and they, and, and they are, want to start a sake brewery in Hawaii. Mm. So, um, you know, we, like, I'll answer any question anybody emails or if they, if they want to start a sake brewery and, and just continue all the help that we got and, and put it back out mm. into the community. Right, and the grow together. Yep. Right. Wow, that's amazing. So I can't wait to see the future of American yes. sake. I mean, seriously. Right. So so what's your plan for the future? So we we stay pretty focused on the near term because <laughs> we got to get open and sell in sake. But the reality is we want to make the best sake we can. And I think we go back to the same, the same themes, right? We want to make the best sake we can. Um, we want to expand kind of the consumer base of sake in mm. the U.S., um, and we want to kind of share our excitement with something that like we fell in love with in 2013 and worked hard um, mm. to put ourselves in a position to share um, with New York City and more broadly. Right. Well, I just uh, came up to mind. So um, I think one of the New Zealand sake breweries, which happened to use the Carlos Rice, won like a really good prize oh, international great, great. competition. So. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> you, you never know. Yeah, maybe I should get your autograph now. Oh <laughs> okay, so um, where can we find more information about Brooklyn Cora? So um, our website, www.brooklyncora.com, is something we try and keep pretty current. Um, Instagram is a great place to keep track of us. Um, if you were on today, you got to see that we got our press. Um, Yay. But, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so it's uh, brookerincura, that's K-U-R-A.com. Exactly. Right. Okay. Um, all right, so thank you for joining us Amazing. today and good luck with everything. Thanks so much for having us. Same, same. It was a pleasure. Right, so hopefully you can come back and talk about more progress. We'd love to. Right. Exactly. All right. So thank you. So listeners, um, uh, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at Japanese at the Heritage Radio Network org. And actually, I'm getting a request and I, I think next season more topics are reflect by your requests. So thank you so much. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at Heritage Radio Network org and iTunes and Stitcher as a podcast. So please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We'd appreciate your feedback. And uh, our engineer today is uh, 
did Vitor Harsh and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.